everybody. Welcome, welcome. It's episode 23. And today we're talking about, we're going to be sharing with you um, what we think of as your guide to leveraging embodied experiences. We want to kind of zoom out and go back to the beginning, the name of this podcast, Embodied Business Inspired Brain, and really dig in again from a slightly different angle um, into to what does it mean to be embodied. And Today, we're going to talk specifically about what is, the, what is an embodied experience and how do you leverage it to solve what we see as two primary problems for leaders, educators, retreat leaders, online course designers, especially in the online space. Um, how, how do we lean into and, and leverage embodied experiences? So you're in for a treat because we also have a really awesome follow-up um, six-step design guide that we have available um, to you. And we're going to tell you a little bit about how to grab that at the end of the episode. So um, hang in there. But first, what's in process, what's in progress, as always, we will check in and Anne is going to go first as I percolate. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I'm going to share what I shared earlier. Um, with another yeah, speaking with, um, so for me, I, I have had a lot of, um, positive input throughout my life of, oh, you're so relaxed. You just kind of go with the flow. And so I think that was like a piece of my identity, um, that I was very, you know, like I didn't get, my feathers didn't get ruffled too easily. And mm. That's like true. the opposite of me. I know. <laughs> well, you know, we work well together. So, um, yeah, so it's like, but then I was doing that, I think, as at a cost to myself, um, right. which was conflict avoidance, which would sometimes show up as conflict avoidance or, um, yeah, like, you know, best to keep the boat steady kind of at all costs mm. and particularly at costs at cost yeah. to myself. Um, yeah. And so that's sort of as some people like, you know, the shadow side of, mm. you know, keep, keeping things, but at the same time, I'm very good at making people feel comfortable and, and all that stuff. So there's, there's a positive, but then there's some negative too. And I said, you know, I don't want to be in that, in that negative. I, I really want to confront someone about something. <laughs> um, and so th this was a business interaction that I felt that um, it was really important for me to keep the boat really steady through, through a process. And then I said, you know, at the same time, like my truth needs to be spoken and I need to share with them where there were some missteps made. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, <clears throat> you don't have a manager telling you, you have to do that you have to have a hard conversation right. with someone. Right. So so you can avoid it if you want to. You can avoid it if you want to. And you can get into a really bad pattern of that. And I admit, like, I think I know that I, ha I entered into that because I was not held to task on that. And that really mm. was a, a, you know, a weakness. And we all have weaknesses and we can be strengths-based and we can be alignment-based and all the things. But sometimes it does feel really good to address a weakness. And so I was able to have this hard conversation with someone did it go perfect? No, because I haven't had many hard conversations. So, you know, I'm not going to do that well at it the first time, right? It's not going to yeah, be done that yeah. perfectly. And so, but at the same time, I think like, 
I'm never not going to do that again, I think is really what I've taken away mm. from that. I'm always going to keep having a harder conversation if it's, you know, like I'm not going to, I don't want to enter into those avoidance behaviors of not having hard conversations. So um, I'm thankful. And I was saying like in the moment, there was a, a moment where the person was getting defensive and, you know, just saying things that were just not, you know, I don't know, just in a defensive way. And so I just sort of took a moment and I just sort of closed my eyes and just sort of, yeah, and took some breaths. That's really what mm -hmm. I did. And, and, and then I was able to, to re-engage because I didn't want to necessarily be defensive back. Yeah. But I wanted to be, but I wanted to hold, hold my ground. And so mm. how do you walk that line when you haven't walked that line a lot? <laughs> but that, I think that's an interesting line to walk. And I'm just thankful because one of the things I have found through, through the nervous system work that we practice, and that is something that um, you um, do so well, but is this, is like, yeah, you want to be emotionally intelligent, but how, how do you become emotionally intelligent? And I think mm -hmm. for me, learning the nervous system work um, which can be as simple as, you know, um, taking three breaths. But in the past, people would tell that to me and I just would still avoid it and not do it and like be like, what are you talking about three breaths? Like, even though I teach Pilates for years and years and years, I just don't, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, so I think, yeah. I think that it was just very helpful and I feel, I feel really good and I feel empowered and, and I'm ready to, if there's other hard conversations that I have to have them, I'm, I'm just very ready to have them. So. Yeah, yeah, it was so cool to hear you sharing that earlier. And of course, made me think of what we were talking about is this idea of bouncing back, right? Mm -hmm. Like being able to be in the nervous system world and language dysregulated, right? So where you're moving into that sympathetic state of fight or flight, or maybe you're even past that in the hierarchy and you're, you're all the way to dorsal, which is that disconnection, you know, immobilization where we're turning away we're, we're like collapsing essentially, right? We're unable to take action, paralyzed both physically and mentally. Um, but but how do we bounce back from that? And then how quickly can we bounce back? And and within what's the, can we lessen the cost of the bouncing? Because mm -hmm. the human experience is that we're just, we just get bounced, right? All the time. Yeah. There's just, that's it. Like it's a bouncy ride, <laughs> right? No matter what, there's not anything you can do to avoid that. Um, and I think what's interesting to me, you know, I just always feel like it's hard sometimes to choose what's in process and progress because so many things seem to be, um, especially these days, but I think I would just follow that same line and realize that, or share that, yeah, that it's, it's a really beautiful loop that over time, I think what you're describing is, you know, it's not just enough to have somebody tell you take three deep breaths and then you do it. You like trust that you should do it. Like intellectually, you're like, I don't, whatever, fine, it works, <laughs> but I'm not going to do it. But what's missing is the opportunity to have the embodied experience of what happens with those three breaths. Like when somebody says, become aware of what shifts and changes in your body 
in your emotional state, in your state of mind, when you take those three breaths, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, that has value to me. And then, and then three, taking three breaths is something completely different because you've embodied it. You've brought embodied awareness to it. And, and then all of a sudden it has meaning, right? Um, and I think that it's that embodied awareness. I was speaking to that in the call too. I had a pretty intense, I get a little manic sometimes, like on the weekends, particularly when I'm just like, I want to do a lot of things for the house and with the kids. And I'm, I'm just like ticking boxes, you know, and it's usually like pretty physical stuff. And I was just in my zone and not wanting to be interrupted. And I was having like a, a family come into town, but they weren't communicating at all with me about when they were arriving or what was expected of me. Like, was I hosting dinner? Was I supposed to be available? Was I picking somebody up, moving somebody around, going somewhere, doing something like there's just no communication, which as Anne knows, is like my <laughs> Achilles heel. Um, and I just could, well, I just watched myself like become completely dysregulated, but I managed it. I was washing my car and I was cleaning the car and I was outside. So being outside was really supportive and, and being, being in action, being in motion helps to diffuse that dysregulated, sympathetic kind of angry fight or flight energy that I can get into. And I just, you know, it's like, I just channeled it and I was like exorcising it, you know, like, like the exorcist, like trying to exorcise it, um, and exercising my body. And I just, even then when, when family arrived and I had to say, look, this is like, this does not work for me. Like I am happy to have you here, but you have to communicate with me, you know, so I could say what I needed to say, but I wasn't, I think the nervous system work is so powerful because it allows us to like, just create some space, which is what I always say, but it's like a non-attachment. Like I was having this conversation. I was pretty, pretty, you know, like riled up. I wasn't like shouting or anything like that, but I was like clearly a little upset, but then I just, then it was done. And, and there was resolution and we moved on. And then as I was sharing with you earlier, we went and we all bowled for three and a half hours and laughed and it was fabulous. And I just, there was no residual cost from the dysregulation. And in terms of process and progress, like it is really an amazing thing when you practice this work intentionally for so long it's been like six or seven years now that I've been actively practicing and exploring this work, that the, the ability to be more responsive without such a high cost, right, to, to be bounced around by life, the cost is just very low these days. And my response, my responses are, as I was sharing, are very, um, like almost unconscious. They're like just very natural. They're just very embodied, right? Like I'm very in tune with when I'm dysregulated and then I just automatically almost lean into the, into the tool or the strategy that will help ground me, like, you know, being physical or being outside or, or whatever it is. So people are often asking the question, you know, like how long does it take to see results or you know, when should I feel the, the impact of the nervous system work? And it's like, well, you'll feel it immediately. 
and it's cumulative. So it just, it has this, it's just beautiful to be experiencing that and watching that both for you, who you're a little, you know, earlier on the line. Definitely, yeah. And then to go, oh yeah, that's, I can track and I can understand my experience, you know, now having done it for, for longer. So anyway, that's a very long what's in process and progress, but um, it's a really cool, really cool stuff. Yeah, no, that's, I think that that's just part of, I think it lends itself really well into this idea we wanted to speak to today, which is this really this idea of an embodied experience. And, you know, embodiment is, is such an interesting topic, because I do think, I mean, it, it definitely falls across, it's like, it's, it's like an interdisciplinary, um, you know, concept, it falls across a lot of disciplines. So there's, you know, a philosophical concept of, you know, what is embodiment, then there's a physical, and then there's a mental, and then there's a psychological, and, you know, and it's been used a lot. And I think the definition can get, um, I don't even know if there is one where everyone, where, where you say the word embodiment and everybody's on the same page. So I would, sure. I would love to start with, with my definition and our definition, and then we can riff with that a little bit, Chantel. Yeah. But I think that when I, when I'm using the, the term embodiment, so to, to be, for those of you who might be new to this podcast, so I've, I've taught Pilates for 20 some years and I was always a little athletic as a child. Um, I've always, I think, used my body to regulate my nervous system totally unconsciously, whether I'm wiggling my leg or fidgeting. It's just, I've always done that really naturally. Um, and then of course I went into a career teaching movement. Um, but when you go into a career teaching movement, you're, there's many different flavors of embodiment. So in the Pilates world, you sort of tend, a lot of times you'll go into a, a, a type of embodiment that is very sort of, where is my body in space? So if you've ever taken a class and a teacher is saying to you, you know, feel the weight of your body, you know, on this side of, mm -hmm. on this side of, you know, how does the right side of your back of your leg feel to the left? Or, you know, if you've, and, you know, many different movement teachers can give that, can, can, can walk you through that path of body sensation and bringing you to, to your body. And so that is a type of embodiment. And I got really into that and really geeked out about that. And a lot of people love to study that, um, you know, and like, and what happens when you don't have that, when, when you don't have a sense of proprioception, um, there's actually a disease, diseases that can cause that to happen. And, um, it's very hard to control your body and there's lots of interesting things that can happen. And so, but then there's a whole other sense of embodiment, which Chantel has really introduced me to, which is this state of awareness of more the systemic set, the systemic concept of, of your body, which is the nervous system. So, or this neuroception. So if I'm thinking about like having awareness of not where your body is in space, but of of how, how is your how how is your autonomic nervous system tuned? Is it uh, tuned, you know? And 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 if you learn this work, there's something called a dorsal or a ventral. But and and that's not where I want to go right now. Where I want to go is what what gave me a 
a feeling of confidence about having an embodied sensation because is this connection that whether or not I was learning about, well, which side of my body is heavier in space? Do I have more? If I'm sitting down, is the left side of my bum cheek heavier than the right side? Like <laughs> that, that was nice because I was able to name it. There was clarity and I was able to then manipulate it. Oh, how interesting. I have developed an awareness of where my body is in space or how I control my body. Pilates was originally called Contrology. I can control my, my physicality. But what we're finding, I think, through the nervous system work is that, and, and, and other, other autonomic bodies of work, of which there are others, of how you can control your autonomic nervous system, is, um, is, is when you can feel it, so, so you're not only getting awareness, because I think I've had awareness for a long time, but I didn't know what to do with it. Okay, so mm. I'm aware, but that wasn't what made me feel powerful uh, for, or more like I had more agency and in which I feel like is embodiment is, is that it, 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 it's the feeling and then identifying, the, putting a name to it, putting language around it. Because mm -hmm. over the years, I think if any of you have practiced movement, you probably have some language around, well, where's your body in space? And then you develop, I mean, this is my story. I think a story of people who, who practice movement arts or dance or gymnastics or sports and they're trying to, anything where you're trying to look form, golf, right? You get that. Mm -hmm. but, then, but then what about when you can put a name to, to, to your nervous system state? Because that, to me, that's, that's closer to your emotional states, mm -hmm. right? And so for me, when something when we use the term an embodied experience, to me, it's like you've had an experience that is a felt sense, you've named it, and it's, and, and it's given you some confidence because now you know what it is and then you can hang there or change it. <laughs> and so yeah. I think that would be my, one way in which I feel like we can share like what is an embodied experience. It's a felt sense and it's one, one that you can label. Yeah, and I, I think for me, it's like, uh, I mean, just because um, you can move your body and, and feel like your muscles and your bones and those things, um, and you can give give voice to that, like, you know, my, my, my kneecap hurts or my shoulder hurts and it feels like this kind of pain, like that's, that's uh, a, a body awareness but embodied experience is think about like we're now looking at ourselves as a whole like all of our systems in conjunction and, and in coordination so all of our systems of experiencing right it's like so it's not just body external body musculoskeletal but it's internal body your gut you know we talk about that. What's your gut saying? You know, that's a that's like the intuitive experience. But there's there's a link to the vagus nerve and the and the nervous system on like the way your vagus nerve reports information from your body to your brain. It's because it's because it innervates. It's it's running through most of your internal organs. It's sending that information back, and and we're interpreting it and 
Anne mentioned the word neuroception. Neuroception was coined by Stephen Porges. It's this unconscious assessment of risk, whether I'm, I'm safe or not safe in an environment, and particularly with a, a person or, or people. So this is a level of awareness, but neuroception is unconscious and, and the goal is to bring it to the consciousness, right? So it's like, oh, how does that express itself in me? How does it express itself through like, oh, my stomach is starting to hurt or my throat feels clenched or my jaw is tight or all of a sudden I am feeling, you know, like pain in my back or like a, a, almost headachey or so, so that's bringing the neuroceptive response up to consciousness so that we are becoming aware of a deeper level of experiencing in our bodies and we're naming it, but we're also saying this feels like not just a body experience, but I'm having an emotional experience too. It's bringing up sadness. It's bringing up panic. It's bringing up fear. It's bringing up anger. You heard both Anne and I use that language around what we were talking about in, in the earlier part of the podcast. And then it's like, well, how is this affecting my, my overall mind state and my thinking? Like, am I agitated? Am I um, closed minded? You know, because when we get into these uh, the challenged or dysregulated experiences where we are, are, are afraid or we, we, you know, there is risk or something's happening it changes our mind state. We often are unable, less able to make clear decisions. We're less able to be responsive. We're more likely to be reactive and fall into habitual patterns of behavior. And so in my mind, embodiment is, is the opportunity to experience the fullness of what's happening um, in relationship to whatever the stimulus is. And for our work, so much is about the context of learning, communicating, um, and, and growth, right? Behavior change and growth. And so what we have identified is that there are really like, there are two areas of challenge for people who are leaders or teachers or educators. Anybody who's out there trying to make an impact is, is engagement, getting somebody to engage more fully um, and more consistently and then conversion or long-term engagement, right? We can, we can translate that to sales. Um, we can translate that to retention, but what we have found and what research science tells us, and then, and then what we have formulated for ourselves through our work is that offering opportunities for the folks that you're working with, whatever the relationship is, to have an embodied experience or even to invite them into an embodied experience, which is just like, oh, how does this really impact me? Not just intellectually, but from a nervous system perspective, which is not something that you have to say, but that is really what you're inviting is like, what are the deeper levels of of my experience when I'm being asked to present in front of a group. Let, let, and let's just use that example really quickly, because I think for those of you who are listening, you will, I think, either be able to recognize this in yourself, or if you are a business owner or a leader and you, and you have tasked somebody to do something 
and they are rebellious. They are um, re retreating. They're like avoiding, as Anne was describing earlier. It's very likely that they 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 are afraid of the thing that's been asked of them. They don't feel safe doing it. But we are most likely to approach it strictly from a behavioral or intellectual perspective. And then we say, you're not doing your job. You're not living up to your task. You know, you're, you're failing in these, in these ways of, of um, uh, like your role or your responsibilities, your performance. Thank you. Exactly. <laughs> but, but if we can, if we can step back and look at it from a different angle and we can say, when I, when I, when I am asked to present to a group, let's just say that feels challenging to me. And then I spend three weeks avoiding preparing. I, I can just berate myself and then get in trouble by my superiors because I haven't done anything, but maybe as, as my leader, there's an opportunity to invite me into an embodied awareness or an embodied experience. So I can say, yeah, I've, I completely feel my body shut down when I think about standing in front of a group, right? And then it, it just cultivates this, this very simple line of questioning or, or positioning. And we'll share a couple of examples with you of, of how to do this. But it opens us up to understanding ourselves, self-awareness. And when we have greater self-awareness, we can we're more likely to be able to change behavior and there's much more to it. That's a very simple, you know, kind of like point A to point Z, but that's what an embodied experience can afford us in almost in any context, right? It's just an opportunity to be more self-aware and therefore move toward growth or positive behavior or whatever it is that we're, we're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel too, like when you're able to talk about your experience, like I feel like it's easier to have self-compassion and then compassion for the other person as well, because you're like, Oh, well, no wonder I'm avoiding preparing. I feel, you know, all these feelings and, but you're saying it in a way of like, I feel like, you know, I'm not like, I have all these feelings and I can't handle it. It's more like, yeah, I have all right. of these it's feelings and I'm noticing breakdown. them. Yeah. Like you're not just trying to, you're not just like, you're not saying I have all these feelings and I can't. Yeah. Like it's, it's not trying to put a stop up and say, you know, I'm too sensitive and can't handle it. It's like, no, yeah, you're actually, not making excuses. That's yeah. not the same thing as self-awareness. Right. It's like, actually, yeah. So I just, cause I think you and I come from a generation too, where we're like, what? like you just work hard, you know, <laughs> like you just push through. Right. And like, yeah, I, I know I've had total blowback from over pushing because I just didn't have the language around the feelings I was having. And so I was just unable to articulate. Um, and I do think too, like in the past where if I had to force myself to do something, but it's like, if you don't, reconcile or notice what you're feeling in the body state in that embodiment place it's hard to it's hard to move to move forward without without I guess with resiliency and not having like a blowback on yourself so 
um, that's something else I would I would say is is beneficial when you get your people within your sphere to think about embodiment, to talk about embodiment. Um, and so how, where would you like to go next, Chantel? Well, I just want to position the design guide because yeah. we want, we've, we're going to be giving you access to this six step design guide. And it's all about how you can employ embodied experiences. And we give you very explicit examples to improve, um, as we said, conversion, could look like sales, could look like retention, but also engagement, right? The way people are showing up. So this is the power of intentional brain-based design around anything that you're you're offering, whether you're doing an in-house training or you're teaching your kid to, sh you know, tie their shoes. Um, or, or, you know, so take it, that's a huge range, obviously. Um, and the... the idea of the embodied experience is it's really just an experience that allows someone to become more aware of their full human experience, particularly body-based as we were talking about before, rather than just the thinking intellectual experience. And it helps them tap alternate levels of inspiration, motivation, personal investment. That's, like, that's huge in any kind of relationship or endeavor. So what, what I think we could do to kind of tease people a little bit and give them a better sense of this design guide is, do you, is anything jumping out at you in the design guide that you feel like we could use as a specific example um, to share with folks right now, just to titillate them and clarify what the design guide might help them do? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that we get a lot of questions about is how how do I get people interested in my work, right? Like, mm. how do I entice people? Like, we we tend to work with people who are, you know, have they they I feel like they they tend to undervalue literally like even in the sales of what they do. Yeah. But yet what they're offering is usually so well done. I mean, it's usually too much <laughs> because yeah. they've, they've waited a long time to get the work out and then it kind of comes out. Oops. Oops. <laughs> it's very, very animated there. I was being very embodied. Um, it kind of like comes out in a flood. <laughs> so like, so, so a lot, of, and then, and then there's a lot of timidness around like, well, you know, like how do I talk about my work? Um, and mm. so I would love to explore some of that. And we titled that um, pre-programmed sales or reduce the risk within the sales process, um, designing sales for a safe embodied experience. And so I want to be clear, that's a two-way street. <laughs> it can be very, people can feel very disembodied when they, when they have to put on the saleswoman hat or the salesman hat or the salesperson hat mm -hmm. because they're so afraid of it. Um, and that's clearly going to come across to your students or your clients or customers, however you want to label that. Um, and so what we see and what we, so we want to create safety. And I think if you're a person who struggles with, with selling your work and getting your work out there, if, if you can focus on how can you make the sales process more comfortable for the person? 
And what most people, I think, default to is, well, I want to make them comfortable, so I'm going to make it cheap. I'm yeah. going to devalue it so it's not going to hurt their pocketbook. It's not going to hurt. Meanwhile, what you're offering is, you know, really life-changing and amazing and like decades of knowledge and experience. And, you know, they want to sell it for like $27 or something. And, you know, yeah. we're, we're trying to encourage people to, to step. And you may not have this situation, but maybe someone on your team does and you're trying to like support them in the sales process to be like, so, but there are other ways to make people feel safe in a sales process other than reducing a, the cost of something. And so one of the things, so we offer three examples and I will dive into a couple of them here, and you can guide me a bit, Chantel. Um, so one thing that I love, actually, that I like, because I like it because it allows me to feel really creative. Um, and one of the things is that it offer, one of the things you can do is you can offer multiple levels of support at different price points. So you can offer... Um, so some students fear they're spending too much, so they want less support. So you can, when you are offering your work, and this also supports people educationally, like you're probably working with adult learners, adult customers, if you're providing a service, some know a ton and some like know nothing. Some people need more support, some people need less. So you can tier your offers with different levels of support to say, oh, you want more support? Well, here you can get more support at, at this different <clears throat> price, and then if and then, um, but then some students get really overwhelmed because maybe they've been waiting to to do X, Y, or Z product or service that you provide for them, and they want the support, or their life is too consuming that they need it. And I think in the past I would always just say my default was before I was thinking about how can. I create the embodied experience for sales so that they feel safe is this, is this opportunity for choice and autonomy instead of the default mm -hmm. of like, well, I'll just make it a little cheaper and not, and, and lack a sense and, and suppress my creativity about how I can support people. Yeah. And I think, I think so this particular piece of the design guide takes into account the 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 whole person right we're we're looking at it from an understanding of people have different responses to and relationship to money they have different responses in their nervous system uh, in you know according to like how safe money makes them feel or doesn't make them feel what's their relationship to security and and what's their relationship um to feeling in, empowered, right? And so what Anne is speaking to is from the designer, leader, creator, business owner's perspective, can we create our offerings, craft our business, design our curriculum with the whole person in mind, right? So, so if we're guiding them through, we're like, okay, what, what does create safety? Well, for a lot of people, choice creates safety. For a lot of people, autonomy, and having agency creates safety, right? We like to feel in control. If it's like one price, no go, you've got to decide in 10 minutes, most people are going to be freaking the F out. Their nervous systems are going to shut down. They're either going to rebel, which is they're going to say something kind of nasty, like, 
you know, you're, you're, this is a ripoff, or I can't believe that you can charge this much, or how do you live with yourself, you know, these kinds of things, <laughs> or they're going to retreat and they're going to ghost you, right? So we're really, we're saying not only offer embodied experiences, which much of the rest of the design guide really talks about how to do that very simply, even if you've never, you know, practiced yoga or like, you don't have to be a body person in order to offer embodied experiences. And you don't have to be a body, you know, guru either to consider what the embodied experience is of sales or sales conversations or, um, or just how people use your services or interact with you or, you know, engage with your coaching, your coaching and mentoring. This is a big piece of, of that kind of intimate relationship. So I just want to give you a little tiny slice of the pie, little nugget. This is free to you. We're going to put a link in the um, episode notes so that you can access this um, and download it. It's like 16 pages of really juicy stuff um, that we think you will be able to leverage and apply to really anything that you do. So you don't have to be a teacher and educator. You don't have to be in the embodied arts um, or realm. You can be a contractor who is working on you know, their sales, um, you know, process or training a sales team or whatever. So um, really valuable. And, and I think Ann and I just, we wanted to share with you something that was relevant and tangible, no matter what field you're in, so that you could see how the embodied business part like really comes into play um, and how, how important and how powerful that can be. So um, any final thoughts, Ann? No, but definitely grab it because it has a lot of inform- a lot of um, creative solutions and imbo- body based embodiment solutions too. Uh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. Lies. So you'll just want to jump on that link and um, and and you'll be able to to get access to the design guide right away, and then let us know what you think. We always love to hear. Well, thanks again, everybody. Thanks, Anne, for another great conversation. That's always inspiring and invigorating. And we'll see you next time. Well, as always, we'd like to say a big thank you for your time and attention. We know how precious it is. We love hanging out with you and serving this amazing community of inspired leaders and educators who desire to make a bigger impact and bring their whole selves to this awesome party. We hope you are leaving feeling a little inspired, refreshed, maybe even excited, and a little bit giddy. The absolute sweetest and most powerful thing you can do to support this not-for-profit, minimally sponsored podcast is to tell us how much you love us, and there are a couple of ways you can do that. You can leave us your comments and reviews on iTunes or YouTube. Both are better. And if you didn't know we have a YouTube channel, now you do. Or by sending us the occasional love letter to embodiedbusinesspodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, we hope you'll keep asking, how do I want my business and my life to feel?